making disciples, or just short form, just discipling other people. And hopefully it'll be uh, helpful to you as you seek to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and as you seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ, which is, after all, the Great Commission. So, but I don't want you to get too comfortable. You got a little too spread out because the, the very first thing that you're going to do is I want you to team up with somebody. It could be just you and you're just, you know, it could be your little group of three or whatever. But if you're alone, I want you to find someone and glom on to somebody because I want everyone to start out by going to 1 Thessalonians. So I'll, 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 you go, you go. Let's see whether you're follower, good followers. Disciples a follower, right? You can see if you're a good follower. So I want you to go with your little group to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. All right, so you need to the, you need to be with somebody, okay? I'm gonna I, I, okay okay. Let me be more explicit. Group up in groups of at least five or six. So move move for uh, you you know just so so Sam you guys Sam you go back with Michael and with uh, Leah and and uh, the ladies there. You know you three in the back you can stay. Generate go with you, okay. Where you got? Guys, it's harder for Michael to move, so why don't you... Guys, Sam, dude, move over so that Michael can be part two. So, yeah. All right. Now, you're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And what I want you to do is I want you to... Take a look and jot down, a few, or not jot down, just in your minds, think through a few of the things that the, apostle, the apostles did amongst the first, uh, amongst the first Thessalonians, listen to me, amongst the Thessalonians, that, and the manner in which they conducted their ministry to them. Okay? So, look at for the manner in which they conducted their ministry to those who came in first Thessalonians. Examples or the manner. So, you, so t- start out by reading First Thessalonians two, one through twelve, that we can see either the activity of the apostles or the manner in which they, the the, the way they conducted themselves or what they did. What are some things? They were bold in sharing the gospel. They were bold in sharing the gospel. So their 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 aspect was a bold one. They were gentle but firm. They were gentle but firm. Can you talk about what you mean by that? Well, it talks about um, we were gentle, um, like a nursing mother taking care of her child. And then it goes down and it says, um, we exhorted you and like held you to a standard like a father encourages his children. Okay, so nurtured them like a mother, exhorted them like a father. So both tough and tender. Okay, good. They were not. They did not speak to please man, but to please God. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. So not their their motivation was not to please man, whether the Thessalonians or anybody else, or even themselves. 
but to please God. John? Examples. They lived as examples. Yeah. They were humble. They were humble. They toiled night and day. They toiled night and day. They supported themselves. That's the stage. Carol? Conflict didn't deter them. Conflict didn't deter them. If you remember, they were only able to be at Thessalonica for three weeks before they got kicked out of town. Did that have love? It says affection, and they became dear to him. Yes. Look at verse, and I think this is one of the keys. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you'd become very dear to us. Isn't that a sweet idea? They have a gospel to, to, to deliver, but they also wish to do that by giving of the very selves. Okay, good. You can either go... Yeah, okay. Leah, did you have something? They're witnesses of God. So that, that was their, the content of their message was to bear witness to the gospel. Okay, so you can either stay where you are or you can, or you can uh, with your newfound friends or you can spread out a little bit more. <laughs> but if you've been a Christian for very long, you've probably heard words like disciple and discipling used in a number of different contexts. So as we begin this morning... Uh, it's helpful to get a sense of what is a disciple. So another question for you guys. What do you think of when you hear the word disciple? What comes to mind? Discipline, okay. Follower, Chris? Apprentice, oh, that's interesting. An apprentice is one who goes, follows after the master who is learning uh, to do as he did, as he does, Yeah. Other ideas? A student? Under a particular master. Someone who's intentional. Who's intentionally doing what? What's, he, what's, he seek, what's a disciple seeking to do? To become, like to become like someone. They're actually following after someone in order that they might become like someone. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Now, there's tons of ideas in that kind of nexus of idea, but most essentially in the Bible, a disciple is presented as someone who follows after the life and teaching of another. And specifically, in our context, obviously, the one we most are thinking of is is being a disciple, a follower, an imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as as followers of Jesus, we've got a really keen interest in knowing how best to be obedient to the command to go and make disciples of all nations, which is what Great Commission is. So first, just uh, take a look, take a scan over uh, number one on your handout. What is a disciple? Here's some of the general marks, some of the general marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because, of course, this course is going to be about how, do, how are disciples of Christ made. Well, first off, what is a mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ? Uh, love for God, or sorry, love for Jesus Christ and for his people. Obviously, love for God. Um, response to God's initiating call, right? Jesus himself goes out making disciples, calling for repentance and faith in Mark chapter 1. A desire to know what God says, a desire to hear the word and obey it. A break from the world's standards. 
such as in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The fruit of the Spirit, and especially with self-discipline. We've already talked about discipline, because in order to be in conformity to a standard of one's teacher, that requires discipline. Uh, Self-discipline, and then also the, the, the the discipline of the teacher, or the master. A passion for evangelism, perseverance. What are some others you might include in there? Marks of discipleship to Jesus Christ. That's not an exhaustive list. Say it again. Be, being teachable. Being teachable. Not having your ears closed and not interested. In the call. Chris. Uh, yeah, humble. We talked about humility, the, the, the humbleness of the teacher in the case of the apostles, but also humility on the part of the student, the part of the disciple. Okay, good. So we, we certainly tend to think, when we think disciple, we also do tend to think of the 12 disciples uh, in the New Testament, but they often had a unique role that may not be fully transferable to us. I don't know about you, but no one's gifted me, uh, given me the authority to go around and uh, heal the sick and cast demons out and, and raise the dead uh, the way Jesus did for them. But So their role was somewhat unique in redemptive history. Uh, however, we, if we look through the broader witness of the scripture, we can get a pretty good idea of what we mean when we talk about this, a disciple, and some of those things are on that list. Now, if we look at the context in which um, discipleship occurs, if we look at how... God's plan is to make disciples of Jesus, we see a larger context for discipleship is in the church. The church itself is God's foundational discipleship program. So even though discipling someone, being discipled, does not have a place in Scripture where there's some really definite definition, but for the most part in this class, we're going to be talking about relational or one-on-one discipling, yet which means relating to one another, one person or two people, with the aim of doing one another good spiritually. So, but we see that in God's church, discipleship is happening on a much larger scale. So, for instance, we're about to go into the worship service, and discipling is what will happen, Lord willing, in a little while, when Eric stands up and expounds God's work to us, We're going to be working to disciple one another as we sing the songs that we sing, when we read the scripture, and then outside of the public gathering in in our home groups and, and in weekly opportunities to serve together and encourage one another. The ladies tomorrow are going to disciple or we're going to be engaged in the work of discipleship in their pajamas. How cool is that? Great. Um, And, uh, But in one sense, the church body is a greenhouse that God himself has constructed to grow and cultivate disciples of Christ to the glory of God the Father. And what we're going to talk about more, because what we want to do as elders, we have a desire to see a culture where we're all laboring together with one another, helping one another grow, helping one another, helping edify one another so that we can all can grow toward maturity. And if you think that BJ and I are the only ones that are involved in that effort, you're wrong. If you think that BJ, I, and the other elders are, invo- are the only ones involved in that effort, you're wrong. This is part of the every member ministry 
where the saints are equipped for the work of service so that we may all grow up as one body into the body of Christ. So every, that means every believer is called to the work of discipling. You may be only in the faith less than a year. That doesn't mean that you're not in the business of making disciples. It's not like that's graduate-level Christianity that you get to after 15 years in the trenches. No, every single person is, who's, who names the name of Christ and who is part of his church is involved in the, in the effort to build the church up through the making of disciples. Only a few are going to be called to preach. Only a few are going to lead public worship or even teach large groups like this. However, it is the, it's the contention of this class that every Christian is called by God to contribute to the disciple-making work of the church through deliberate, mutually encouraging relationships. That's what primarily we're going to think about in this class, which is the interpersonal relating to other people that we ourselves can imitate. Do you have it in your mind that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to relate to other people in such a way that you are moving them towards following Jesus. That can be evangelism with an unbeliever. You're seeking to woo them to Jesus Christ so that they begin following him. Or it can involve the exhortation and the encouragement that one believer gives to another to seek to move them ahead in grace moving forward. Now let me ask you this. That's, some, that's often somewhat directional, right? Where someone who's farther along in the Lord exhorts and encourages someone who's not as far along in the Lord. But does it ever happen the other way? What if you're not very far along in the Lord? What do you think can be what what, what do you think are your responsibilities and and how does that work? Can you encourage? Yeah. Can you... Oh, Martha? Okay, so there's a freshness and and new insights that new believers have that can be... Yeah. Even in the context of our share time. Have you been encouraged in this past year as newer believers have shared what's go- what, as their experiences? Does that build your own faith and build your own heart up? Right. So there's, there's lots of ways that someone, anytime two people are connected by the word of God, honestly, there's an opportunity for growth in either one of those people. Right? Can you talk to another person and do that in the context of the word of God? Then you're, you can be involved in the, in the work of making disciples. That can be with your children. It can be with your workmates. You're trying to, again, evangelize. It can be work, and it happens within the context of the church. So let's give a definition of what one-on-one or relational discipling looks like. And I've got that on, let's see, that's uh, on uh, number three in the inside of the handout. What is discipling? What are we going to mean when we say that? Based on a synthesis of the biblical data, one way to define the work of discipling is this. The intentional encouragement and exhortation of Christians on the basis of deliberate, loving relationships and training in God's word. So obviously that definition is 
not authoritative, but uh, we're seeing it as important. The keywords we might, uh, might want to uh, key in on are the idea of intentional and deliberate. This is not something that just happens. I mean, it does just happen, but it doesn't just happen without thought or without the intentionality uh, to be purposeful, right? Because you can spend a bunch of time with your Christian friends talking about a whole bunch of not very much, right? And you come away encouraged, but you're not actually... What, what, we're, what we're kind of skewing in on is the idea that this is, is, this is word-based. It doesn't mean you're getting your Bibles out, but you're working through your being intentional in relationship on the basis of the Word of God. Uh, discipling involves encouragement and exhortation. Christians need encouragement in order to be faithful and to persevere in the faith, and they need exhortation, right? We need to cheer one another on, and sometimes we need to shove one another forward. <laughs> you know, we need all sorts of we need all sorts of ways to propel that we might propel one another uh, on toward glory. Do you think that your brothers and sisters are actually necessary in your life in order for God to get you over the tape? And do you believe that you're necessary in the lives of your brothers and sisters to get them over the tape? all want to get over the tape. All right. Uh, Discipling is focused, of course, on making followers of Jesus, Christians, not just moral reformation, or even worse, copies of yourself. I love you. We do not need another one of you exactly as you. There's one of you is enough, right? One of me is enough. (laughs) We're looking so we're not looking to conform one another to our own image, right? What is the work of discipleship? Ultimately, it's the work that's been there since the creation of the world. We're seeking to make image, we're seeking image bearers of God, those who conform to the character of Jesus Christ. That means for anyone else in the world, it's going to look different than it does for you. Um, discipleship is ultimately rooted in the word of God, not just our good advice. Uh, discipleship is loving. To care for someone's soul in this way is love. And finally, discipleship is relational. It involves more than just watching a lesson on a video. Right? The elders do direct you, say, I mean, this, this week we've directed you to a podcast. Uh, you know, that if you can want to take advantage of it, Things Unseen by Sinclair Ferguson, that's great. But does Sinclair Ferguson know you? Anyone actually known by Sinclair Ferguson? I've met him. But no one in this room is known by Sinclair Ferguson. And so, that, so that, there's a limit to how much uh, that kind of ministry, that, that's effective. We want to be pointing into those resources. But ultimately, uh, a lot of the work of Christian discipleship is happening in the context of relationships. So I want to think about a few more components of this definition in details. <coughs> so again, back to intentional and deliberate. These are words you're going to hear a lot in this class. Uh, We need to understand that making disciples is not something that just happens. It's the result of Christians responding in obedience to an imperative command of God. Is the Great Commission operational today? Is the Great Commission Commission operative for our church? Is it operative for you as an individual believer? Yes. Is it optional? No. No. 
Can you yourself individually opt out of that mission? Do you have any authority to exempt yourself? No. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to, not you, but to Jesus. And he, on the basis of that authority, calls you and us to make disciples of the nation. So it is an imperative command. It's not simply a charge to tell the gospel message, although that's absolutely critical, but it's to make disciples. That's to be the focus of our evangelism, making disciples. He encouraged and instructed his disciples to turn and make disciples of others. So this is supposed to be... um, Oh, help me, my science people. Um, It's supposed to be a multiplicative because one person does it to one person, does it to one person. It's supposed to expand in that way. We turn and make disciples of other people. Uh, We're not to make disciples of ourselves, but of Jesus, just as he did. We were to purposefully invest our lives in teaching others to follow Christ. So it means that what we're called to do as Christians is to give ourselves to one another intentionally and deliberately and on purpose in order to help one another become mature followers of Jesus. And that's not the work of special individuals. All of God's people are called to encourage one another as a mark of your own discipleship of God. So you might take away from this first class, even if you take one thing away, say, do I really own my responsibility? The responsibility that Jesus has given me to be intentional in making disciples for Jesus. If I don't, what's wrong? And how can I seek to repent from that mentality and instead embrace my responsibility? In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of the Hebrews tells all the Christians receiving his letter, and let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. He says us, and he says one another. The spurring on in the Christian life is presented here as the normative work of God's people, not just a few paid professionals. Obviously, the pastors and the elders are supposed to be both modeling this and have the greatest responsibility to do that, but you are part of that team. And it's something that you're to actually consider. Consider how to... Do you, you know, hmm, that means that you are commanded by that, that, that writer to the Hebrews that you're supposed to take time to consider how you might spur others on toward love and good deeds in the gospel. So hopefully that gives an idea of intentionality and deliberate. Secondly, biblical discipling is relational. You couldn't get anywhere along in that 1 Thessalonians 2 without seeing the deeply relational nature of Paul's ministry, right? Why he uses all those relational language of mother and father and an example and imitator, right? So the idea that discipleship is relational is interwoven throughout much of the Old and New Testaments. In the scriptures, we see a God who is not merely revealed, but a God who relates to us. Not just conveying information, but the truth that's conveyed in the gospel creates a relationship uh, with God. And so, uh, and ultimately, this culminates in heaven. Uh, well, first off, it culminates in that Jesus himself came down as a person to relate to who could relate to us, right? Right? Jesus' ministry was radically incarnational. 
And then what's the goal of salvation? It's face-to-face, unmediated fellowship with God, which is described in the book of Revelation. So the reason that the process that we work to build up God's people and so relational is because that pictures the larger truth of the relational nature of God. If God is seeking relationship with us, and that's the goal of his, of, that's the goal of, of our salvation, then should not it make sense that the goal of us getting to that, relation, that salvation and full experience of that salvation is also relational. So the metaphors that we have in the church, uh, you know, household, body, building, temple, those are all images that talk about the interconnectedness of the members of Christ, the interconnectedness of the believers, the brothers and sisters. You can't be part of a household without relating. The bricks of a building are related to one another. The parts of the body are deeply interconnected with one another. And those are the metaphors that are used, you know, and again in Ephesians 2, that we all grow in one body toward the maturity of the faith. All right. Third, biblical discipleship is loving. It's loving. It's not cold. It's not utilitarian. Rather, it's the very essence of how God has called us to love one another within his church. We are called to deliberately pour out our lives for the spiritual good of others, just as Jesus poured out his life for our eternal good. Now, Jesus did things we can never do for one another. We cannot bear one another's sins as the perfect sinless substitute, and yet we are still called in our imperfect and fallen state to reflect the perfect love of Christ. For instance, bear one another's burdens. And so, anyone finish that for me? And so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, right? Um, How do we reflect Christ? Because we pour out our lives for the spiritual good of others, for their encouragement and their blessing. That's what the Bible describes as the love between believers. You know, remember how Paul says, I think it's to the Corinthians, I didn't look, didn't, I just thought of this, so I didn't have it looked down. But, you know, I'm poured, I'm ready to be, to spend and be spent for your souls, right? Is he leaving anything on the table? No, no. Now, yes, was his ministry unique? Yes, but was it so unique? No, it's relatable to us. Are you interested in spending and being spent for the good of the souls of others? The Apostle John says it in, uh, says what Jesus, uh, in 1 John 3.16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So think about those two parts. He laid down his life for us. What does that supposed to result in? That we would turn around and lay down our lives for the brothers. And what ultimately? He laid down his life for us that we might be saved. We lay down our lives for one another to promote that same salvation. Right? What does it mean that the Bible said Jesus laid down his life for us? It means we, when we're supposed to imitate that, we imitate that in our relationships. Um, it is something we can imitate even though we, cannot, we don't die for one another, we don't atone for one another, and yet we do lay down our lives in pouring them out for others' spiritual good. Jesus died as a model for us, as well as, um, as well as to be our Savior, right? He actually also gives us an example of his 
relational love. Number four, uh, and, and again, uh, as we saw it in the Apostle Paul, right? The apostles were ready to share the gospel of God and their very lives with those they were ministering to because they loved them so dearly, right? And you're like, Paul, you were there for three weeks, right? How, do you, how can you say we were well pleased to lay down, you know, to, to share our very lives with them because they'd become very dear to us? Well, Paul loved quickly. Can you imagine going to a new church setting and and, in three weeks being able to say, these people are very dear to me? Actually, that's kind of how I felt about you. But, you know, I did have some history with you as well. But, you know, I mean, I can remember within a year of coming to you, I just would start looking around and say, I'm so glad to be here. These people are so precious to me. Right? It does not have to take long. All right. Fourth, biblical discipling involves training in God's word. It involves training. That training cannot just be in anything. What we teach people and win them to is what they spend the rest of their lives contemplating and doing. If we teach people, say, to rely on themselves or to turn to the things of the world, they will never find God. Discipling, therefore, must be rooted in the word of God. It is God's word that brings life. It is not the discipler's sage advice. You might have plenty of good advice to give, but that's not ultimately what's what is God's appointed means for building one another up. Scripture self-attests to its own power and ability, right? All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Those four things are the discipline that makes a disciple, right? Teaching, that we know what God would have. Reproof, getting us, when we're off base, getting us back in the road, correction, again, kind of the same idea, and training in righteousness, keeping us going, keeping us exercised, right? Remember BJ's sermon from last week, a lifetime of godly effort. Uh, in its simplest form, disciple-making is the daily task of pointing one another to God's word. As those who are making disciples, we work hard not to cultivate a dependence on ourselves. Rather, we train Christians to consistently turn to the scriptures, Right? I think we do a decent job of that at our church. I don't think any of you hold BJ, in the right sense, you hold BJ and I in strong regard, but you don't, aren't dependent on us. You're not looking to us and our particular wisdom. You're looking to us in as much as we are opening God's word to you. That's one of the reasons why we, don't, why we do mix the home groups up. You know, I don't want any of you to be in my home group for five years, lest you somehow begin to see your relationship or your growth or your understanding of the scriptures be dependent somehow on being in my home group. Or, you know, and I wish sometimes I didn't have to. I'm always put in the Parker home group for some reason. I wish they, uh, somehow they, I guess it's because I keep having conflict with Elisa and so they say we have to keep, we have to keep uh, uh, being in the same home group together. But, you know, joke light, joke light. Guys, you guys are more coffee. All right, I need uh, Bear and I need Jensen up. Biblical discipleship is a pipeline. When I was uh, with my father out in California, I was amazed at these enormous, enormous pipelines that we were seeing. So guys, come up here. Coffee. Okay. All right. Gents, Bear, you get this and this. Okay. Now... I saw these enormous pipelines out there where huge, like, I don't know, 
they looked like they were 20, 30 feet in diameter, you know, going over mountains, you know, getting the, the water irrigation. Okay, so here's Jensen. He's got some money. Here's Bear. He's got what? What do you got? Empty jar. Empty jar. And he's got a pipe. Is this anything really precious, Bear? No. Like, how much would you give it, me for it? If I offered to sell it to you. He doesn't know if he would want it. So, okay, Bear, I want you, Bear, I want you to stick this in there. I want you to hold it strong. Jensen, I want you to work at pouring. Turn around so they can see. I want you to pour what you've got in your jar through the pipe and into... Come on. Get going. There you go. All right. They still can't see because you're turning the other way. Oh, oh gosh. All sorts spilling out. Okay. Now, friends, what happened? Thank you, guys. You can, you can actually, I'll, I'll pick that up later. Okay, so what, what was the result of that experiment? Thank you so much, guys. What's the result of that experiment? Here's where, the, where all the good stuff was. How did it get into this? Through the pipeline. Now, is the pipeline anything special? The pipeline's not special. What's special? The, the transfer of the, of the cash, right? What's important is the cash. What's important is not the pipeline. And in the same way, we see that as a metaphor for the fact that, you know, God's truth is the treasure. God's truth is the treasure. The conduit is not impressive. There's nothing... Imp- this is a... This is a roll from a paper towel tube that I actually took about... We didn't have one that was... I, did, I looked in the recycling bin, but I had to... So we've got a nice big stack of paper towels uh, on, the, on the counter right now. Like nothing, nothing about this. This is going to go in the recycling bin, either here or at my house, right? And in the same way... Now, now isn't it amazing, though, that God, God who, who he uses worthless little us as the conduit for the treasure of his word so that one person's so that the character of Christ can be communicated through through very ordinary means right you know uh, you know we have this treasure in what earthen vessels right nothing special you're not particularly special i'm not particularly special you know as as uh, one of the angels says to the man in uh, Paralander, be content, small one, in your smallness. He bestows no merit upon you. Right? We're, not so, we're, not all that, we're not all that in a bucket of fish. Right, whatever, change the metaphor. <laughs> but we have the most precious thing imaginable running through us if we're you, being used by God to take the word of God uh, the work of a pipe is simply to be in the right place, channeling God's truth to others. Are you willing to see yourself as that pipeline? Nothing special in yourself, but carrying God's, the, the, the incredible wealth of God's truth to other people. Now, why might it be easy to think... The last thing is, uh, uh, on the back here, biblical discipleship is not a program, it's a process. We might tend to think of it as a program. Many programs have been developed to grow disciples. I myself came... uh, My spiritual heritage is in 
organizations that tend to see it as fairly as quite a bit of a process. But every person is packaged. Is, is per, every person is different and has different struggles and temptations, which means discipleship cannot be so easily packaged. It's not one-size-fits-all growth. At its core, discipling is essentially whatever we do to intentionally help other Christians to grow up in holiness. That's going to depend on our what we have, what resources God's given us. Right? Not all of you are going to be able to be helpful to every other believer in the same way. Right? You may have specialized skill. We have different elders that actually have specialized skills. For example, if someone needs financial counseling, we often look to Kevin because he's got specialized skill in, those tra- in that training. Different other elders have other uh, particularly particular helps. You have particular helps. And the people that you're talking to, you, you may be well poised to build into the life of, of Jim and you aren't well poised to... to to build into the life of Bob, just based on who Jim and Bob and you all are. Um, It's a process of becoming like Christ. It's not a program. It might mean reading a a good book together and discussing it. It might mean outlining a book of the Bible together. It might be sitting together and, and talking through each of these core seminars over at lunch with someone. It might mean sharing insights from a weekly sermon over coffee. It might bring, mean bringing your kids over to play at another mom's home and discussing last week's sermon. It might mean inviting an unmarried man or woman over for dinner and talking to them about what the scripture teaches about uh, any number of things, marriage and parenting or whatever. We could go on and on. What discipling looks like in practice is wide open and the key is whatever that we do is rooted in the truth of scripture and presented on the basis of an intentional, loving relationship. So as we move forward, we're just finishing up here, as we move forward, we want to consider a lot of the specifics of what it looks like to build these kind of relationships, how we might discuss a book with someone else, how we might study the Bible with someone, how we might do different things. We'll go into some specifics, but I want you to start off with the idea of that your involvement in discipleship is a command of Jesus. It's not optional. You are equipped for it by the fact that you have the Spirit of God resident in you. You have a treasure that it's your responsibility to be the conduit to others. It's relational. It's intentional. It requires you actually taking action. It's relational in the sense that it actually involves you interfacing your life with other people. It's loving. And it's connecting one another with God's word. So I'd encourage you as we move forward in this uh, class to think about how you can grow in your own discipleship of Christ by being an intentional, deliberate contributor to a culture of discipling here at Redeeming Grace. I have a couple of questions for you in in the conclusion that you might want to just think over or even talk with someone else. Who's been someone who helped you make progress in the Christian life? What did they do? Can you think of any time when this involved loving encouragement or teaching on some issue or loving rebuke? And then begin to think about, do I have a vision for this being my job as well? All right, let's close. Father in heaven, we do want to see a culture of discipleship continue to grow and flourish at Redeeming Grace. We want to have our, our mindset be that we want one another to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ, so that the whole body being joined together by that which every joint supplies might redound to your honor and glory. 
Lord, help us convict us if that's not our mindset. Help us to get on the team. And Lord, indeed, uh, help uh, uh, us all to be moving in the direction of conformity to Christ that we might desire to grow. Let us be eager to be a disciple and to make disciples of you. In Jesus' name, amen.